You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. Well, good afternoon, 1.30. We ready to get a taste of heaven today? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So you're probably wondering why there are two of us here today. Uh, in case you're a guest with us, my name's Doug. Uh, I'm the pastor here at City Church Downtown. And back in the mid-2000s, I met a sharp young college guy, uh, and that would be the gentleman to my right here, Humby Savetta. And we engaged in spiritual conversations, and he was growing spiritually, growing in the Lord, in the Word of God. And uh, then, uh, as providence would have it, God brought an awesome young lady into Humby's life. Her name is Lauren, and that's his wife now. He married up, by the way. I'll tell you that straight up. And then uh, God was kind enough to give Humby and Lauren an awesome little dude named Jude, and that's their son, and he's running around somewhere uh, today. But we started to see in Humby a calling and gifting for the ministry. And so Humby now is pursuing his theological education at the Gray School of Theology, and the elders and pastors of City Church, we have invested in Humby to take him through the licensing process so that he can now be a licensed pastor. So the message you're going to hear from Humby today is going to be his first message given as a licensed pastor. So how about that? That pretty cool? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I've been teasing Humby uh, through the services, because uh, this past week he's asked some of us to kind of bow down and kiss his ring, you know, now that he's a, pa- a bona fide pastor and all of that. Uh, but, you know, in the, the kingdom of God, we're not like, uh, churches aren't like franchises, we're like families, aren't we? Spiritual family. Um, I, I thank God for Humby's biological family. Some of them are sitting right down here. Would you just kind of, you guys kind of wave and... Uh, his folks are right down here. And I thank God for Humby's family that's encouraged him in the Lord every step of the way and our great group of folks. And I thank God that we've become kind of like spiritual family as well. You know, at the Savetta gatherings, there's uh, always a lot of good food and uh, good relationship. And then there's always at least one white guy, right, uh, that's there. And that would be me. But, you know, as John teaches in the Bible, that in the spiritual realm, there are spiritual sons, spiritual brothers, and spiritual fathers. And as I age, the only benefit to aging is I get to see more spiritual sons. And, you know, the church is not like the world. In the world, uh, the races don't get along, but here we have spiritual sons who are black who are white, and who are brown. That's the good thing that God does among us, right? And I'm pretty proud today of a spiritual son. So if you guys would join me in a prayer, I'd like us to pray together and thank God for the good work that he's done in Humby and the great work that Humby has stepped up to do for his life's calling. Let's bow. And as we bow together, I want to ask you to just reach your hand out, just reach it out towards Humby. If you're new to church, it doesn't mean that you're going to jolt him with the force like on Star Wars, but it just means you're reaching out in support. And so, Lord God, we thank you for one of our own sons and for the hard work that he displays each week. 
the way he works many days and nights where no one sees except for you. And you know the hard work, effort, and love that he puts into the ministry that you've given him to do. And so, Father, uh, we pray now that you would continue to anoint, give favor to, raise Humby up. Father, we pray that as uh, he teaches us your word today, that the Holy Spirit would fill him and overflow through him to us, to challenge us, to convict us, and also to encourage us. We thank you for Humbi Sebera and all that you've done in his life. And for all of that, we give you credit, glory, and honor, and thanks. And we pray it in your precious name, Jesus, and for your sake, everyone said, amen. Yeah, you know, I, I just want to take a second to thank Doug for all the, the time and, and effort he's put into uh, kind of helping me along this path, and, and it's been fantastic, and um, it's just, it's super special to have someone like, like Doug, who's uh, not only just a, a boss and a spiritual leader, but a good friend, so, so thank you, Doug, for, for being a good friend. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, he kind of started getting into it, but you know, with, with my, my family's here, my parents, my aunt, my little sister, and my grandma, and a cousin, and his girlfriend, they're, they're all here uh, today, and, um, you know, I, I know that I, I wouldn't be here with, without all of you guys. You know, my parents, who, who really helped instill uh, a great, strong faith, and, and I just, uh, I thank you guys so much for, uh, for everything, and and just all of you guys for being here, and Grandma, and, and you know, Grandpa wishing wishing he was here, and and all that. Just uh, just thank thank you guys for for everything, and and I just want to you know say this from from stage that I appreciate all you guys for the roles that you've played uh, in my life, and so just just thank you guys so much for for everything, um, and and of course yeah yeah go ahead. And, and I've also been saying it every single service. Um, my wife was here at the 9 o'clock, and I've been saying it every time since then. You know, uh, Doug talked about there's a lot of hours and a lot of nights and, and, and all that, and um, she's the one that, like, puts up with me. Uh, and, and, but not only that, but she, like, helps carry the house and, and carry me uh, sometimes. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful to be blessed with a, with a wife like her. And... Um, you know, just, just me uh, being in this spot right now is, is uh, so much of it has to do with her, and, and, and I, I think that she should be honored just as, just as much as I, I am uh, today. So um, I told her that earlier today in front of everybody, but yeah. And, and not only that, you know, uh, um, Doug talked about it, being a good organization is, is a family, and, and, you know, we've got a great family here. Uh, We've got, uh, like, Margot back there is my right-hand lady in the production department. So whenever I'm up on stage, she's back there holding everything down, and, and even on weeks that I'm not. Uh, you know, we've got Robbie, who's in um, City Youth every single week, and what he does is a lot of times has helped me 
refined talks, and even as Jake has come on, uh, he's kind of started helping speaking the talks uh, and, and just being a great presence within the team. And to go along with Jeannie, who's fantastic and does everything around here. Uh, if you guys ever see Jeannie around here, she's probably running somewhere because she's got a million things to do. So if you see her, just pat her on the back and, and, and thank her. And then um, um, Michelle, who runs our, our kid city next door, um, she really, yeah, thank you for the one person that clapped for her. Uh, Michelle really doesn't do much for me, uh, but I like to make fun of her a lot, so that helps me out a lot. So that's Michelle. <laughs> She's going to be really upset that I say these things about her. Um, so yeah, so uh, all of these things have come together to really put me in this spot. And uh, that's kind of like where, where I want to start uh, today's message, is uh, the life that I had planned for myself, the, the things that, that I had laid out. If it were up to me, I'd, I wouldn't be standing here on the stage right now. Uh, if, if I would have gotten what I wanted the whole way and what I was working towards, I, I wouldn't be here uh, in front of you, definitely, which this still weirds me out, I definitely wouldn't be a pastor, um, which freaks me out that I can say that about myself right now. Um, you know, I go back, and, and if it were really up to me and I really could have had my way, I would have been like a basketball player, right? But... I realized in middle school, when I was the B-team backup point guard that didn't play very much, that the NBA probably really wasn't in the cards uh, for me anytime soon. Who would have thought that a 5'9 point guard that can't shoot and doesn't dribble that well wouldn't make it to the NBA? Go, go figure. Um, so from there, when I realized and I came to this realization, I figured that, you know what, I want to be around sports. I love it. Uh, and I got to figure out a way to still be a part of it. What, I, I thought, well, what about journalists? You know, they've got uh, people there in the locker rooms, whatever, doing that stuff. So from that point, I decided I was going to do my best uh, to chase after like the number one position in all of sports uh, journalism, which is being an anchor on ESPN's number one show, Sports Center. And uh, from there, I did everything I could to make sure I was doing that. Uh, all my classes that I was taking in like high school, I was trying to figure out the best way that would prepare me for that. When I got to college, it was the same thing. Just everything was about getting to this one position. And finally, my junior year, I kind of like got a big break, right? My junior year of college, I got this huge break. And I got my first internship, or my only internship, at WOAI-TV, uh, Channel 4, the NBC affiliate here in San Antonio. And as soon as I got there, it was basically everything I hoped and dreamed it would be. Uh, you know, I was going to, to football games, these high school football games, and I was going through, like, the media entrance, walking in like a baller, you know? I didn't have to stand in lines. Don't worry about you guys. I was walking in, standing on the sidelines. I was going to Spurs practices. I was going in their practice facility and doing all these cool interviews. And then I was going to games and sitting in the, uh, going in the locker rooms after and sitting on press row and, and doing all this fantastic stuff. But the real, uh, the first, like, super thrill that I got uh, came uh, a couple months at, into it, and they let me know. They asked me, "Hey, do you want to go and uh, cover a Longhorns game?" And for me at that point, I was like super mega Longhorns fan. I was all about it, and I was like, "Yes, I want to go," because I'd never seen the Longhorns play in person. I'd seen them play a million times on television, but never once had I been there in person. So that what a way to go see them for the first time, right? And so I head down there, we, we hop in the car, go to Austin, and it's just everything I ever could have wished for. 
The, there were 80,000 people there. It, it's much bigger now, but that's what the capacity was at the time. Uh, you know, and, and I'm seeing the band walking on the field, and they're banging that giant drum, and the, they're playing the national anthem, and the eyes of Texas, and I'm standing on the field while this is going on. Then, um, you know, the team comes out, and there, I just remember the way the sound of the pads were, and the, and the roar of the crowd, and just everything that went along with it. Not only that, the Longhorns won that day, so it was fantastic. Then I get to go into the locker room, and I'm doing an interview with Matt. Brown, and then later on with like Vince Young and all the superstars of that 2005 national championship team, I'm in there, and it's just like the best day of my life. And after we're done, uh, we have to walk across the stadium to the other side to get to our cars. So we, we leave the locker room, and we're walking across, walking through the field, and we're like walking in the middle of the field. And as we're, we're doing that, we get to the, to the middle, around uh, midfield, where the big burnt orange uh, Longhorn logo is in the middle. And at that point, I kind of start looking around. The lights are all still on and everything. And I look, and there's not a single person in the stands. I'm looking around just trying to find anybody, and it's completely empty. The only people in the stadium at that point are like the three or four guys that, that are walking with me. And it was incredible because just like an hour or two before that, there were thousands and thousands of people screaming and yelling and cannons going off and, you know, like livestock running around the, the field and just all kinds of craziness. And here I am standing in the middle of it and it's peaceful and serene. And at that moment, I felt like this incredible place, this giant stadium was there just for me. At that point, that was the highlight of my life. Now, what about you guys? What are some of the highlights in your lives? Think about it. Some of you uh, might be married, right? You got married, and, and uh, that's like one of the highlights of your life. Uh, others of you have had children, uh, maybe even grandchildren, and those are like some of your highlights of your lives. Or you got a degree, uh, you know, graduated from things, uh, some of you have been promoted, got new jobs, um, or some of you, you're like the highlights, one of the first things you're going to is like a Spurs championship and you're running down commerce, like high-fiving everybody with a beep in the horn, horns and honking all day. And uh, for those of you that can remember that far back, uh, you're like highlights of your life is when the Cowboys won a Super Bowl, like uh, yeah. way back there. Thank you, there's the one person. Uh, uh, you know, you guys remember way back then uh, when, when they won and, you know, Hey, I'm a Cowboys fan, so I can totally say that, all right? I can give them a hard time. Uh, but you guys remember way back in the day, we all have these moments that are much brighter and shine bright uh, when compared to the rest of the moments in our lives. But what about after we die? What's the highlight of the afterlife? Specifically, what would the highlight of heaven be? Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking to you guys about what happens after we die. Specifically, we've been asking you to imagine heaven. And the way that we've been getting at that is through thousands of near-death experiences that were studied and synthesized through the book Imagine Heaven by John Burke. And over the last few weeks, we have learned to live like heaven is real, to get so heavenly-minded that you're more earthly good, and to get ready for the transformation that God has in store for us. And at this point, I think we've got a pretty good picture of what heaven looks like. 
based off of all these near-death experiences and what the Bible has to say about it. And while reading this book and, and going through the Bible, you see that every time people talk about heaven, there's always one thing that's like the highlight of heaven. One thing that's greater than the greatest experiences that any of these people that had a near-death experience are having. It's like way up here. They're like, oh man, heaven is unimaginable. But even in heaven, there's something more unimaginable than the unimaginable. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John would agree to that. He described what he saw as a highlight. Take a look at chapter one. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. The highlight of heaven for John was simple. It was the Son of Man, Jesus. And that's why our big idea for today is Jesus is the highlight of heaven. So for John, Jesus was the highlight of heaven. And for all these people that had these near-death experiences and, have and they've been recorded, they're saying the same thing. Spinal surgeon Dr. Mary Neal experienced just that after she had an accident while uh, on a kayaking trip. She was pulled under the current and died there underwater. And it was after, that she, after she died, she had this amazing experience that she could never forget. Specifically, what she saw was what Jesus looked like to her. And it's kind of incredible to hear her talk about it. Take a look at this video. What did he look like? Everybody wants to know. Everybody asks. I know. And my answer is very clear, even though it's nonsensical. And I would say that he looked like bottomless kindness and compassion. And those are not words that make sense because those aren't words that we use visually. But that is what he looked like. It wasn't a matter of looking at someone and saying, oh, you know, he had brown hair and, right. you know, whatever. Um, he looked like bottomless kindness and compassion. And in terms of uh, his outward appearance, I would say the same thing as the other people I saw, which is a, a physicality, head, arms, legs. Uh, and again, this, this filamentous robe exploding with love. But I also will say that I'm not entirely sure that that's how he always is. Now that's a highlight of heaven, right? What an incredible description of Jesus. And what's incredible about it is that the way that she describes him, she uses what we would, uh, she describes him physically with words that are normally personality traits. And his bottomless kindness and compassion was so overwhelming that that's the form that he took on. And it's because he is those things, right? That's what he is. I think explaining to you guys what Jesus looks like today is actually going to be better understood by me explaining to, explaining to you who he is, who he was, how he carried himself while he was around. And uh, in the Bible, there are a handful of situations that are brought up uh, to give you a good idea of what Jesus really was like. 
And once again, I'll go back to Revelation and the Apostle John. He had a great insight on what Jesus was like. So after he sees him with the wool hair, the white wool hair and the sword coming out of his mouth, this is what he says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus looked at John saw the fear that he had, right? Because John just falls straight to the ground. As soon as he sees Jesus in heaven, he falls to the ground with this great fear. And before Jesus does anything else, before he says anything to him, the first thing that he does is reach his arm out to him and put a hand on him to comfort him. And then the first words that he tells him are, do not be afraid. And it's after that that he then explains who he is and how wonderful he is. And John is able to stand up and record the rest of it and this great vision that he has in Revelation. It's in that moment that he knew exactly what John needed, exactly what he needed. And it's crazy to think that Jesus, this almighty, all-powerful God, cares that much about us, cared that much about John just to reach out to him and say, don't be afraid. And it's interesting, too, because when he explains who he is, it's so simple, it's so easy, it's not flowery, uh, you know, complicated language, it's just direct and to the point. And I think it's like that because that's how Jesus set it up. He set it up for us to have relationships like that with him in that exact way. He says it in John 15. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. A friend of Christ. We are friends of God. How incredible is that? Think about your friendships. Think about the level of love you have with those people. I mean, how formal are you when you're hanging out with them? Probably not very formal, right? You're like, you could go over there and hang out with a buddy in pajamas and a t-shirt and, you know, just watch TV for a while and have some of the best times of your life. And that's the relationship that Jesus has called for us to have with them. It's not, there's not all these formalities. There's no impersonal conversations. He just wants to keep it simple and keep it real. And in the book, Imagine Heaven, there are accounts of this exact same thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, Burke writes about a woman named Vicki. And Vicki uh, had passed away, was there experiencing this communication with God. She was actually going through uh, what she called a life review. So she was sitting there going through like each and every scene in her entire life, sitting there next to Jesus. And uh, there's this one thing that happens uh, where in a fit of jealousy, Vicki ripped off the lace and buttons of one of her classmates' dress. And she did it because she was just upset at how beautiful it was and, how, and disappointed in how terribly she was dressed. So she decided to embarrass her, her classmate in front of the entire school. So as you can imagine, Vicky is feeling pretty guilty at this moment sitting next to Jesus as they're both looking through her life. 
And this is uh, what she says happened after that. Uh, Vicki says, it was like, you know, I could feel from Jesus his understanding and compassion about how I felt that way and why I did it. But, you know, it was sort of like he talked to me during that time. He said, yeah, that wasn't too cool. And I, I hear some of you laugh because that's funny, right? I mean, Jesus looked at this situation, saw these things, and felt the compassion and the hurt of Vicky, who was going through this time, and also understood exactly why she would do it. He felt this, he showed this bottomless compassion for her. But even as a friend and as someone who loves her, he let her know, hey, that wasn't too cool. It's just like for me, like if I was explaining to one of my friends and I was telling them the story about how when I was little, I used to convince my little brother to eat rocks. You, you guys laugh, but that's a to- I didn't make that up. That's a super true story. As a matter of fact, my little brother used that story in his uh, toast as the best man. He was telling everybody about uh, how he, I convinced him to eat rocks when he was little because he's kind of a complainer and he doesn't let go of things even years later. So, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> he's gonna, so I got Michelle mad earlier. He's going to be really mad because he's like out of town right now and he wasn't able to watch this. So when he comes back, he'll have that story to hear about too. And I'm sure he'll complain about that also. Um, <laughs> but anyways, if I told somebody that story, they'd be like, come be convincing your little brother to eat rocks when you're little probably wasn't very cool. And that's exactly how Jesus is talking to them. It's that personal relationship. And not only that, he has a sense of humor too. And I think you see it a handful of times after he died and is resurrected. One of the first times that you see him, actually the first time that you see him come back, uh, he's talking with Mary Magdalene. She's on her knees weeping and crying, uh, and she's sad because Jesus has died. And Jesus shows up, sees her there, and the first thing he asks her is, why are you crying? He knows why she's crying. She's upset that he's dead. But he still asks her the question, and she answers, and he reveals himself to her. And she's so excited, so fired up about it, and Jesus says, go out and tell everybody that I'm back. So she does just that. Shortly after that, there's two of his followers. They're walking down this road to a city called Emmaus. And while they're walking, Jesus kind of just walks up next to them, totally disguised. They don't, under, they don't know who he is. And they're upset and kind of like going back and forth with one another. With one another. And Jesus asks them, well, why are you guys so upset? What, what's been going on? And one of the followers of him goes, don't you know? Haven't you been around here? Jesus was crucified. That's what we're talking about right now. Who's, and he, and G, where Jesus answers, who's this Jesus? What, what do you mean? And so they go to talk to him about it. And he's just sitting there enjoying like how fired up they are. And, and, and he's listening to them. Well, they get to where they're stopping, the two followers. And Jesus is like, okay, well, I'll see you guys later. Uh, enjoy the rest of your night. And the two men are like, no, 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 please, please come and have dinner with us. We enjoyed your company. We appreciate you. It's getting late. Come inside, have dinner with us. So Jesus does. He goes inside, starts to eat dinner with them. And just like he did at the Last Supper, he picks up, grabs the bread and picks it up and breaks it in front of them in the exact same way that he did the last time he had dinner with them. And it's in that moment that the followers realize who he is. And they say, Jesus, 
and he reveals himself to them and then immediately teleports out of the room just like that. So those are two pretty good stories. But my favorite story of Jesus coming back post-resurrection happens a little bit later. Uh, to kind of give you guys some context, uh, all of his disciples but one are, are gathering up because they're hearing that he's back, right? They're hearing the stories of the different people, and, and they're like, okay, well, we need to go. Let's meet up and talk about this. And it's three days after Jesus has died. And a lot of us know that three days after Jesus died, we call that Easter, and we celebrate it. But back then, it was just three days after Jesus had died. And for them, for the apostles, it was just three days of living with fear that somebody would come for them and crucify them in the same way. So when they meet up to talk about Jesus coming back and they're trying to figure out what's going on, they barricade doors, they lock it up, and they make sure that nobody knows that they're there or can get in. So as you can imagine, it's a high stress level at this point. So that's where we'll pick up the story in Luke. There it says, Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. So let's take a look at this. His disciples, the apostles, are scared to death. They're worried that somebody's going to break the door down and drag them off. And that's what they're talking about. They're, they're just starting to get into the stories of these two followers that saw Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And as soon as that happens, Jesus teleports in, shows up, and gives the ancient equivalent, and, or says the ancient equivalent of, what's going on, guys? That's what he says. There's no trumpets, there's no like pyrotechnic show and, and laser lights or smoke machines or anything like that. Jesus just simply comes in the room and teleports in and goes, what's up, guys? been going on, which to me is just baffling. You know, you talk about the personal level, you talk about him kind of having a sense of humor, because these guys, like the last thing that they want to hear is like a simple hello. They need like all kinds of different things happening at that point. So there he is saying, what's up, guys? And as you can imagine, if one of your dead friends like teleported into a room with you, and said, what's up? You would be freaking out. And that's exactly what the disciples are doing. They are freaking out. They are losing it. It says in Luke, but the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them with his hands, with his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. I think this is the best. This is my favorite Jesus story, maybe in the entire Bible. Jesus shows up. People are freaking out, and he's like, wait, wait, wait. Wait, hey, hey, bros, look, look at my hand. There's a hole in this. I'm not a ghost. Don't freak out. I'm real. I'm really real. Look, look at this. Look at this hole in my chest. 
where they stabbed. This, this is real, man. Oh, you guys don't believe me? Okay, okay. Look, look, look. Give me a piece of that fish. Let me show you that I'm real. I'm going to eat this piece of fish in front of you because you know that ghosts and spirits can't eat, right? You guys know, you've seen the movies with the ghosts and they're like going like this trying to pick something up. They can't do that. Jesus did. He grabbed the piece of fish, started munching on it. And as he's doing that, as I can totally imagine, the disciples are getting fired up. Jesus is real. He's here. They're checking the the holes in his hands. They're looking at the, the hole in his side and in his feet. They're realizing that Jesus did, in fact, come back from the dead. That he defeated death. That he had the keys of hell in his hands. And Jesus was just showing up just to hang out with his boys, right? That's the first thing he did. He comes back and he's like, what's up, boys? I'm back. That's what he's doing. So they're celebrating, enjoying themselves, having a great time. They're ready. These disciples are ready to go out into the world and start sharing the gospel, start sharing that Jesus came back, that Jesus defeated death. They're all ready to go, except for one guy. Remember, they were all there except for one. That was Thomas. Thomas, for some reason, wasn't there. And just so you guys know, for for those of you that don't know me, I would totally be like the Thomas of the disciples because I always miss cool things that happen. I'm always like the one that shows up late. I'm like, oh, man. So, for instance, uh, we we went on a mission trip to Africa a few years back. I was with Doug. Doug was there, and uh, Michelle was there, too, and a handful of other people. And, uh, you know, I was brought to get video of different things and just really show uh, the, the villages that we were helping out out there. So I'm getting this video of this bridge that kind of goes across the, the river and, and just working my tail off, man, you know, just working real hard and, and, and just sweating and, and just having a, a time out there. And it starts to rain. And the way it was set up out there is it's all dirt roads. So if you get stuck in the rain, what's going to end up happening is you're probably going to get stuck in mud and you're not going to be able to leave wherever you're at. So we knew as soon as it started raining, we needed to head back to the cars immediately to get back. Well, I'm like the first one back in the car. I get in, I got all my gear and I'm I'm putting it in the bag. And as people start getting in, they're like all excited and, and like fired up. And I'm looking around, I'm going, why is, why is everybody so excited? And finally somebody gets in and they're like, did you see that girl that had a monkey on a leash? That was so cool. And then another person's like, yeah, that monkey was awesome. It was like doing backflips and flips and all this cool stuff. And that girl just like had it on a leash and it was just hanging out. And I'm, I'm listening to everybody. I'm like, what? what? What monkey? What are you guys talking about? I didn't see any monkey. And they're like, oh, Well, I mean, everybody was there, and I'm like, no, everybody was not there. I was working over there while you guys are living it up, seeing monkeys do backflips for you. So as you can imagine, I was fired up, so I know Thomas exactly how he felt. Well, maybe not exactly. I mean, I I missed a monkey on a leash. He missed, like, Jesus coming back. Uh, It's close, though. It's close. <laughs> so Thomas sees his friends, and what's the first thing that they tell him as soon as they see him? Hey, Jesus came back. So that's where you pick up in the scripture. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, We have seen the Lord. 
But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Now get out of here with all that trash. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. You guys are a bunch of jerks anyways. I don't like you. I added that last part. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's not biblical. Um, so as you can see, Thomas is not having it, right? He's upset that he's the only one that didn't get to see Jesus. And I imagine that he was hurt and lashing out at his friends. But that would change shortly after. We go back to John. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. We'll pause that. Of course, Thomas is not leaving this group of guys ever again, right? He's like, if something cool happens, I'm going to be there. Sorry, I'm there with you guys. So back in the scripture. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. What's up, guys? Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So guys, more than anything else, when it comes to Jesus being personal, he knows exactly how to reach you. He knew what Thomas was going through. He could see the pain and the frustration that he was going through. And he knew the one thing that could give him faith was him showing up and having that conversation with him. To me, that's even more special than what the, the, the apostles, the, the disciples had before. Jesus came back said, what's up, guys? And then said, hey, Thomas, let me show you something. Let me show you who I am. And I think he does the same thing for all of us. When there's something going on in our lives, he looks at us. He finds us and says, hey, come here. I want to show you this. Let me show you what's really going on. Let me show you exactly how much I love you. Let me show you that I could be doing anything in the universe right now, but I'm here with you right here, right now. Because, guys, Jesus isn't only the highlight of heaven. He's the highlight of earth. He's the highlight of our lives. Now, for some of you guys, you came in and you're, you're, you weren't believers, and, and I totally get that, and I respect it, and and you guys are able to, to believe what you want, that's cool. But if you're interested in doing something like this, I want to challenge you to this. I want to challenge you to be like Thomas. I'm going to challenge you to test God, to go out there and say, hey, God, if you're really real, do this, and I'll believe in you. Something very particular, very special, that there's no way that it could ever be a coincidence of in any way, shape, or form. Ask Jesus to do just that. And then if he does, believe. Now, for some of you guys, that's, that's scary to think about that, right? And it's not scary, the asking of God. That's not the scary part. 
The scary part is what do you do if he comes through? The scary part is having to hold up your end of the bargain in that, right? Because if he does come through for you, if he does, then you have to cross that line of faith to hold up your end of the bargain. And for some of us, you know, you might think, oh, well, well what do I do? How does that happen? You know, uh, just so you know, believing and, and crossing that line of faith, there's no religious hoops to jump through. It doesn't matter like what your, what your um, holier-than-thou friends say about what you have to do. The only way that you start a relationship with Jesus is by simply believing. It's a decision that you make in your mind, in your heart, and that's it. Now, I know a lot of times at our services, at, at the end, uh, we'll go through a prayer, right? And we'll lead you guys in a prayer, uh, what, the, what people will say to receive Christ in your life. There's actually no power in that prayer. And, and what, the way it is, and this is how it looks, um, it's, it's kind of like this. So if you're out with a girl, um, my cousin and his girlfriend are here, so I'll use you two. So if my cousin's out with his girlfriend, and somebody walks up and says, hey, is this your girlfriend? Well, at that point, he has to define his relationship. And he would say, yes, this is my girlfriend. And that's the same thing that we're basically leading you guys on in this prayer, is we're asking you to define your relationship with Christ. Do you believe him or do you not? The prayer actually has nothing to do with it, just like the question that I would ask my cousin has nothing to do with his real relationship. He's just stating where he stands. So at this point, I'd just like to ask all of you guys to bow your heads. And if you're someone who is looking to define your relationship with Jesus, if you've never done that before, or maybe you don't know where, where you stand, you know, maybe, maybe you've been a follower for a long time and you just never have said to yourself or said to him, I follow you, this is what it is. I want you guys to pray something like this with me. Lord, I'm not fully sure who you are or how you really work but I want to see more of you in my life. I want to know your personality. I want to see that in my life. So right here and right now, I want you to know that I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And the best way I know how, I want to follow you. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your love, for your bottomless compassion and kindness that you show to me every day. Now with our heads still bowed, for some of you that are believers, whether it's been years and years or just a few seconds, there's something in your life that you might feel like is off. And maybe you feel just like Thomas. You're telling Jesus, I've been following you. I've been chasing after you for years and years and years. And you showed up for my buddy here. And you showed up for this guy over here and this lady over here. But you haven't shown up for me. What have I done wrong? And if that's the case for you, you can ask him to move in your life. So if that's you, I want you to pray something like this with me. Jesus, show me who you truly are. Let me see your power, your love, your personality in my life every single day. 
Help me connect with you in a better way than I ever have before. Move in that part of my life. Move in that part of my life that I need you more than anything else. Thank you. I love you. And it's in your holy and precious name that I pray this. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.